I try always to try to like take off about a week mm-hmm. and during the end of the year and like the other week at the end of the year, like so the like the two weeks at the end of the year, like I want one of them basically to be I want to be taking off like the week of Christmas. Yeah. And then the other week, I want it to be like slow. Um that's usually when I'll use time to like wrap stuff up or or even just like um catch up on my reading or learning or whatever. Um but this year is going to be I mean I'm like accelerating yeah. into the new year <laughs> and there's I mean, I'm, I think I might just be taking one day off wow yeah. I kind of hope to take the last week off as well but it doesn't look that way looks like I'll be blowing right through it I, I might be able to take some time in the new year but um yeah it's it's kind of iffy and you know how you you have like you know a, a handful of projects that are kind of in some state of of active project but like you've been waiting on other people to get things done before you can do your part. Yeah. And then of course, like December 10th or so, like three or four of these projects, they're like, okay, yeah, here we get, here you go. We got all the stuff that you need. Uh, now go ahead and con- uh, make sure you hit that same deadline. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I'm, I'm going to be on vacation. Wait, I want to get this done before yeah, I go. I know. And that, so that's, that's the situation I'm, I'm working <clears> on like <throat> five projects at once right now. Yeah. That I'll expect there. It's always the yeah. case. Uh, I'm well, kind of going through that as well. I have a client who's kind of well. I, I don't know how to say it. The, the client they have it's not been pushing. It's just um, they have a lot of features they want to get done, but they're trying to reprioritize things as it goes. And so there's been like some pressure here and not enough pressure there, and just trying to get them to test and validate things. But we've had a pretty good week. Um, we got a lot of their stuff released, and they're happy with it, and it went well, which is always good, especially when it's a customer facing, meaning it's a portal. So it's their customer facing. So it's always good when things go off without a hitch. And I was pretty happy with some recent stuff I did. It was all nice and configurable. Well, it's actually that same thing I was talking about, the kind of dynamic reports or dashboard components and things like that for this portal that I've been building out. Um, Are they um, like Salesforce dashboard or, or just like custom dashboards? They're custom dashboards. So they're, we're using Chart.js for the charting component. and Chart.js. Chart.js. <laughs> <laughs> and I built it so that it, um, well, the summary the summary report is there, but then we also built this kind of detail view where we can drill into the data, and that's controlled using field sets and all this kind of cool stuff. And previous to this release, all the components or all the dashboards were individual components, so each dashboard was its own Lightning component, and now it's just one single component, and it's all metadata-driven to tell it how to draw the report and what details to show and yep. how to export. And You created your own uh, metadata-driven customer success platform? <laughs> I built on top of the most successful metadata-driven customer platform to build my stuff. It's a fractal. You built a metadata platform upon a metadata platform. I was like, oh, yo, dog, could, yo what, dog, I heard you like metadata platforms. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, I think that's a title right there. <laughs> and we could have a custom... We don't ever do episode art, do we? No, I've, I've been considering it, especially when we move to the new stuff that we'll be moving to next year. Uh, I do plan on having that. Yeah. So, but yeah, it went really well. And it, it, this is the kind of client that like, if you don't build it a certain way where they can kind of control things, they, and you tell them, well, I can't change that. I have to go code that. They kind of act really disappointed. (laughs) So it was really nice that I, when I demoed this stuff, they're like, well, we want to show this or we want to show that. And I was able to just kind of right there in the meeting go, okay, let's go configure this and configure it. And it show right up right in the meeting. And so it was really nice to be able to do that. So have you gotten better about predicting what they'll want to customize or are you getting better at talking to them about what they'll want to customize? 
Um, no, we just agreed that on this next version, this next iteration, this phase of it, that we would start building in more um, configuration for it. Whereas as before, it was just we need to get this up and running and out the door and, and in people's hands. So we definitely ran quick and light with it as, as fast as we could. And now we took a little bit more time to add those features in. Mm. Okay. Cool. Which I think is probably a proper way to do it. I mean, you can get really crazy with trying to make something dynamic or something configurable and just go really crazy with it because that's not cheap. Right. I mean, it's, right. it's, 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 no, it's much not, cheaper to hard code oh, something than it is totally. to make it dynamic or yeah. configurable. It's at least twice, if not on the order of like three times Oh yeah. You know, I mean, there's so more, many things to consider. I mean, even are. with field sets, I had to write, I had to write a whole custom utility class just to get the label of something. Because if you put something on the field set, that's a child, let's say it's an account, or let's say you're at the contact and you want the account name and you drag that onto the field set. Well, it's going to show account and then account name. It's going to, it's going to look weird mm. because it's trying to show the original yeah. title and all that kind of stuff. So I had to write all this stuff to kind of go and manage that. It did slow down my code a bit, which is kind of unfortunate. My code, my code. Your beer is good. I can't stop drinking it. I'm glad you mentioned that. So what, I want you to guess what this is. It's, it's kind of coffee on the nose, but it's really chocolatey to me. It's almost like a hot chocolate to Yay. me. Yay. Okay. So this is a hazelnut coffee brown okay. ale. It actually came out darker than what I wanted. It's really dark like a porter, mm-hmm. um, but I'm still calling it brown ale because I made it and I can call it what I want. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's um, so it's it's a brown ale, and, I, and before I added any of the the adjuncts, you know, it, it had a nice roasty kind of chocolatey flavor. I did use some like literally what they call chocolate malt, which is basically just malt that is it's a roasted malt that's kind of like a medium to dark roast, and mm-hmm. so you do get kind of chocolate flavors from it. Um, but then I added uh, hazelnut extract, and I added um, three ounces of just whole bean. Coffee, the stuff I make espresso with at home. Oh, nice. Yeah. And the coffee just takes about, <clears throat> and so I do this like in, in once fermentation's complete, I added the coffee and I had it on there for 24 hours and I tasted it. I'm glad I did because it was after 24 hours. I mean, it had, John, it had so much coffee flavor. It was, I thought it was ruined. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. No, I thought it was ruined. I mean, you should, and I wish you could have tasted it then because you'd have been like, oh, this is ruined. You ruined it. Really? Too much coffee. Yep. So I just needed time to just kind of needed time. Out. And I also think the hazelnut, I also put a little bit of, um, I make my own vanilla extract with bourbon, Madagascar, vanilla beans. And uh, I added a little bit of vanilla extract of that vanilla extract, mm-hmm. which I think helped balance yeah, the van- it. Yeah, vanilla comes through. And in fact, in fact uh, <laughs> so the elves, the elves at our house, mm-hmm. we, have, we have two elves. Are the elves elf on the shelf? Elf on the shelves. The elves on the shelves? Yeah, elves on the shelves. And they brought the kids these, um, these Hershey kisses, but they're hot cocoa kisses. Those things are the greatest things ever. If you see them in the store, buy them because they're delicious. Huh? They're they're chocolatey, but they're kind of creamy, and they kind of taste like kind of cocoa. It's they're 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 awesome. I'm gonna have to be sure not to get those because but I the, this, this kind of reminds me of that. It's that kind of cocoa, kind of vanilla. Yeah. It's it's really good. Yeah. So I'm guess what the ABV is on this beer. Uh, six. Well, that's a pretty good guess. It's actually four. Oh, nice. Yeah. I wanted to say four, but I thought, no, I, I bet it's six. This is, so this is one of my, I, I feel like I have this series, ongoing series of beers that I'm trying to make pretty low ABV does beers. Does this qualify as a session? It does, actually, yeah. at that level, yeah. I mean, I, in my opinion. Um, what is it? What are they, is it anything below 5%? I mean, there's no, there's no law. Yeah. It, it's not a regulated term, but I think people generally accept that, uh, I think it's under five. Yeah. 
Um, did I tell you that? But it's, it's <laughs> recently asked this bartender because I, I already had one. I was like, I'm about to record. Why don't we go with a session? She comes back and brings me like a 14 percenter. I'm like, um, that's not a session, but okay. <laughs> did she not understand what you said? I guess not. Uh, that's weird. Because <laughs> she kept recommending all these stouts and everything. I'm like, oh, I think that's like a five or an eight or. Yeah. I mean, five's not bad. Uh, that's. But yeah, I, it's um, it's very hard to make low ABV beer, low gravity beers that don't feel watery. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Um, I started making this a couple summers ago, trying to make like low. I kept, I was calling them pool beers, like beers. You can just like smash several of while you're swimming in the pool <laughs> in the summer, you know, and survive really refreshing, but like, yeah, low ABV, but still real flavorful. I was doing like kind of like real hoppy. And then, you know, at first, like they were coming out kind of watering. I'm not sure. I can't remember what I did. It's different techniques. I mean, some adjuncts help. So if you use some like some wheat or, or oats or something, but also um, just you can play around with mash temp, get a different kind of mash profile. Get, you can to get like end up with like more kind of unfermentables in the in the beer to give a little bit more flavor. Mm-hmm. And also just having a really healthy fermentation, I think, helps and getting the carbonation right. There's just, I don't know, there's a lot of things you can do. But uh, yeah, no, I was ultimately ended up being happy with this. Yeah, you should be. It's it's really good. And it's been a while since I've had one of your home brews. So I'll, next week I'll be able to bring in <clears throat> my latest New England IPA, which man, the fermenter sample tasted freaking great. Can't wait. I hope it's you know it's funny. I've had beers that in the like once the fermentation is done, but before I package, that taste you know really good. But then I package them like a week later. It's just like they've lo- it's lost everything. It's like what the hell happened to this? Um, so I don't know. And I try to be really careful. I do like closed transfers when I package so that there's no air exposure. It's all CO2 pressure based transfers. And yeah, I don't know. It's just some kind of variables that I'm not controlling, I guess. All right. Well, let's uh, dig into stuff, John. What do we now? We haven't, well, let's, we let's, haven't, we, uh, I know you're going to say you want to do some community stuff. I just want to say the we, um, quick meeting, real quick, quick meeting. meeting. All right. I feel like we should sort this list. Like you and I should just collaboratively, you know, just like, if you see something you think needs to be adjusted, just move it around. And then whatever we don't get to is fine because it was sorted low. Does that make sense? I think so. It's just that my way of prepping for the show is 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 not a bullet point, or at least it tends not to be. Today it kind of is because it's been a slow news week. But, so it's hard to kind of sort because I usually put notes right underneath the links. Okay. That's fine. I mean, but we'll work it out. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, community stuff. Um, so I don't want to ignore the community who's listening live. Uh, so we've been asked: Are there any special plans for our 200 episode? Because yes, this is episode 199. Yeah, we don't we don't ever announce episode numbers, and so we tend to forget. We're, of course, we're horrible about this. We've missed our yeah. anniversaries. We've missed. We don't, and I had a great joke, but Jeremy won't let me use it. So I won't. <laughs> Probably, I'm joking. Uh, I wasn't going to use that joke. Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. But it was I'm, the one I used earlier. Oh, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember not wanting you to. Yeah, I was like, don't say that. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah next next uh, episode which was, should be next week we do plan on recording that'll probably be the last episode for the year as well i would say next week because i think the week after is pretty much christmas and what is christmas on wednesday i think it's on a tuesday let's see i've got my am i wrong counter. um it is tuesday you're right yeah i could record like wednesday or thursday i'm gonna be working so <laughs> well i'll be working too but yeah. i just figure it 200 is kind of a nice round number to end the year on. And probably most people are going to be that week with their families. They probably don't want to hear it, a bunch of old curmudgeons like us. That's true. If we hit 200 next week, then yeah, we could take the next week off. We, we deserve a week off, don't we, John? We do. That'll give me a week to do some stuff that yeah. I need to do for the show. Do some work, finally. 
do some work for the show. So yeah, um, uh, so I'm I'm trying to put together a kind of our annual montage, but obviously this will be the 200th episode, so I'm trying to expand it to beyond this year. But yeah, if you guys have any clips from the show that you liked or anything you want me to include, let me know and I'll try to dig it in and include it. Uh, I know it's not much notice, but yeah, between now and say so you, Monday. So you're asking for clips, right? That, and this is what I, that's what I suggest you ask for, because this is hard. So John's trying to put together a montage, and if you, don't, if you haven't been maintaining you yeah. know, clips and stuff for that over, throughout the months and years, it's almost impossible to go back and... Well, I listen to every episode at 10 times. In yeah, 10x? <laughs> 10x, and, you know, because my brain can process <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, you know what you should do? F- upload all the MP3 files into Einstein, and then ask Einstein for all the most funny and insightful clips. Oh, yeah, I should. Yeah. I mean, he's got a seat at the table, right? He does. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why he shouldn't have a seat at our, on our couch. We need, to, we, need, we need to get an Einstein in front of here. <laughs> oh, we should. I'm sure we can go to the Salesforce store and buy one. And we need to figure out how to hack an Echo to rename it. We can rename it Einstein, and we can just ask. I don't think that's a hack. I think you can rename it. Can you now do anything? I think so. Okay, I, I thought... We hardly ever use ours. I'm I'm very behind on 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 tech technology. On it's challenging for me. I think I heard a story of someone who is named the A word, and they changed their Echo to Nate to, to a different name because of that. Some friends of ours, their daughters named that. So, but you could always call it Echo. You could change the keyword to Echo, the trigger okay. word. But um, it was just that it was the you know the A name and then Echo. That was it. Yeah, someone told me that they opened it up for more options. I think it's showing up everywhere. I think we need to do this. There's also like, you can get basically like open source. There's like an open source project that's basically like a a smart, what do you even call these things? Speaker? Smart speaker? Yeah, I think they're called smart speakers. Personal speaking devices? (laughs) Smart speakers are, well, they're they're either personal assistants or smart speakers is what they're calling Um, them. Yeah, there's some, I think pretty big open source project, but it seems, it seems fairly crusty. I mean, if, you know, like $200 billion companies can't do it, then yeah. the open source community probably, probably can't do it. But who knows? I don't know. You never know. Open source has uh, is done unpredictable things in the past decade. So, yeah. And well, considering, considering this, first of all, that all these uh, smart speakers are based on tons of open source technology. It's just, you know, these companies package it up and ship it out and sell it. <laughs> That's a, that's that was a line from uh, Jeff Goldblum in uh, Jurassic Park. Before you knew what you had, you're packaging, you're selling it, you're selling it. He said something along those lines. Hmm. He's talking to, you know, the guy about him making dinosaurs and making a park out of it. All right, uh, we got a review. Did I tell you that? We have our it's, first it's review our, in such a long it's our, time. No, it's, it's our annual re- review. Yeah, <laughs> we got. Our- <laughs> By the way, if you guys are feeling generous, episode 200 would be a nice way to to you know celebrate and write a review. Yeah, we're running, uh, we're running about a, a review a year. But man, that early on, we we were getting like a multiple a week. Yeah, and we I don't know. And I enjoyed the creative ones because then I could do my dramatic reading on it. But yeah. th- those are fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you are you going to read that now? Or I thought so. I, I think I. I mean, my opinion on reading the reviews isn't that we're trying to trying to boast about it, but just that so the people know that we get them and that we read them and that we. That's you know, true. And it's, we it's, not like, it's not like we get a lot of them, so it's not a big deal to, <laughs> to read one, one or two a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I won't mention the name, but I'll at least read the review. Um, so this is 
Yeah, now, we don't mention names on reviews? I didn't think we did. No, we've always mentioned names on reviews because they're posting it publicly. So it's not like it's, um, uh, or at least they're whatever their iTunes username oh, thing okay. is or whatever. Now, do you track um, the Google store for reviews? Do that, does that, is that even a thing? They, you can do reviews there, right? I don't know. Yeah. The, I have an aggregator service, but that just does across all the different countries in iTunes. But it's just iTunes. Right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, right. let's okay. get through this. Uh, the subject is uh, state of Salesforce, developer point of view, and fun. I like that. Uh, and this person says, or F.T. Chang says, Jeremy and John have such depth and breadth of experience that hearing them talk about, about all things Salesforce, you can't help but learn. They cover everything, including Salesforce as a company, Salesforce as a platform, and the Salesforce ecosystem. Being developers, they, of course, talk code. I'm an admin, so I only understand some of their discussions of code and related technology, but it's so helpful to listen to their banter and get the developer's perspective. At some point in an admin's career, you will work with developers, and you know as an admin how important it is to be able to see things from all perspectives. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. I mean, I know we'd get, you know, techie programmer talk sometimes. Yeah. But I've always felt like we try not to go too deep on, like, just all coding topics so that... I mean, if you're an admin or if you're a, a, just a user of Salesforce or just, you know, you're in the ecosystem, you're maybe you're a, a um, you know, you run a Salesforce consulting shop or something. Right. Um, you know, you, that you could, uh, you could listen and, you know, you wouldn't get too bored. I mean, you might get bored for a short segment, but, you know, there'd be other stuff in the episode that would be interesting. So that's why there's a fast forward button. <laughs> that, you're exactly right. Now, we don't do chapters because that would be work and John. You know, he did, we don't need to add more manual steps to John's extremely manual process he has. <laughs> Which I'm hoping will get better once we switch to the new system. But I tell you so what, we'll I've I've, uh, I've been liking some of these podcasts that do chapters because they, especially the ones that include their if they have ads, um, that include like there's chapters for that, so you can literally just skip right past the ad. Yeah, that's pretty nice. If I can get more organized and kind of kind of timestamp things as I'm going, I might have a chance at doing chapters. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, that chapters presume we're or, actually organized enough that we, we have actual segments that can be, you have identifiable <laughs> boundaries. There's no script between. here. We're just running yeah, off we're the just, cuff. Yeah, we're just completely bullshit for an hour or two. And, you know, <laughs> if, good luck trying to slice that up into chapters. I don't, but, know. I don't know. I guess you could. Of course, chapters would make the montages easier. That probably would, yeah. If you knew what you were looking for. True. All right, so uh, let's do our last community thing, and that is uh, we have a question from the community, or at least a topic suggestion. Uh, this one's from Anonymous. So as always, if you don't tell us to, that we can use your name or you want to be anonymous, we are always happy to grant that privilege. Uh, this person says, I've been in the enterprise tech arena in various roles for over 10 years. For the last six years, that role has been as a software developer, and for the last three and a half, I specialized in building integrations. About 10% of my job currently is to build and support a few integrations with Salesforce, some using Salesforce APIs, one built as a Salesforce app that gets distributed through the App Exchange. <clears throat> I'd really love to find a job where I can get deeper into the Salesforce ecosystem and have recently started looking for Salesforce developer or developer slash admin roles. I'm looking for advice on how to go from a 10% Salesforce developer to a 100%-ish Salesforce developer while at least maintaining my current salary. It's interesting because some people are the, you know, that, that are 100% Salesforce developers are looking to become less than 100% Salesforce developers. And you got guys that are less, you know, or, you know, 10%, 30%, whatever <laughs> that want to, that, you know, I guess the grass is always greener, right? Well, I got to be honest. I mean, 
Salesforce ecosystem is kind of where the money's at. I mean, if you say that, that's just because that's how you know how to make money right now. I guess I don't there's know. there's there are people are making just as good money in lots of other places. Um, I I talk to them and but so you can you can just go see. I mean, but yeah, I mean, Salesforce is it's it, you know it's it's certainly good. I mean, Salesforce space is good, which is why you know every jackass and their uncle is 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 in this business now. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, uh, yeah, there's it's not like it's not like Salesforce is nothing's topping it or it's it's not you know i don't think it's really breaking any records or anything but it but it's up there it's it's a good place to be i guess that's a good point I, mean, I have been in this ecosystem for such a long time that it's hard for me to fathom i, I mean so much of my experience is tied to salesforce related technologies that it's hard for me to branch out and say i'm worth this yeah. not doing salesforce yeah. you know I'm, I'm worth x dollars not doing salesforce I mean, you've it's been hard doing, you've been doing salesforce for 10 years you know you're you're making this X amount of money. I mean, I know guys who are uh, who have been, you know, like I know a lot of Java developers who who are very experienced, really good, like lead engineer types that make you know around the two hundred mark, two hundred k. That that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's up there with. I mean, your top Salesforce engineers can can make you know that's the, is this kind of the same range. Yeah, I've never seen anyone go past two fifty, but. Again, that's that's I think that's like that's the top of the game right there. I mean, yeah. the, only, the only way to get higher than that is going to like you know significant management, um, or you know become an owner and you know you have a liquidity event, you get to sell your stock and make money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so advice for this person. Um, well, I would say. So they're, they're doing a lot of integrations. So that's, mm-hmm. that's their kind of their exposure currently. That's their um, contact point with, with Salesforce is through integrations. I mean, there's a lot to learn in the Salesforce space. There, you know, it's a very, Salesforce has a, a lot of coverage and they're very broad now. So mm-hmm. you need to pick an area to learn. I mean, I would probably start with one of the big clouds. Uh, the, one that, the ones that are growing the most right now are Service Cloud and um, the, some of the marketing areas, I think. Marketing Cloud still... Uh, growing, which I think does marketing cloud technically include Pardot? It does, right? Or does it not? And like Social Studio and all those things? I think they do. I think it's all lumped under that umbrella, but I think marketing cloud typically marketing refers cloud is, itself is, a, is, to, is exact target, yeah. right? So yeah, um, but yeah. So I mean, maybe look at you know learning marketing or so. I, I really think though that like learning service cloud or sales cloud because that's that's truly like the original platform that everything else kind of revolves around a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably you know just get good with one of those. Um, of course, all the developer type stuff. So make sure you know um, Lightning and Visual Force and Apex and things like platform events and you know uh, the various APIs, the bulk API, um, all those sorts of things. And then um, you know if, if you may need to make an employment change. I mean, if you're not getting enough opportunities there, you know, put yourself in the right situation by preparing, learning these skills. Get some, get a couple of the certifications. That's something you can do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rights, I can tell you this because I'm just through this hiring thing uh, that I've been a part of now. You know, if you've got um, the right certifications and you've got maybe not a ton of Salesforce experience, but you've got, you know, you, this person's got other, uh, you know, at least five years of software development experience, and plus they've been doing a lot of Salesforce integrations, I would totally look at hiring that person. Yeah. If they were trying to, you know, let's say they were trying to make a move to do more Salesforce development. Even though they don't have a lot of Salesforce development, the fa- they have if they have good experience and they've gone out and gotten a couple of the certifications, totally, I would, I would, I would interview that person. 
So do you think the best option is to kind of go in with a partner where they can get probably a lot of different types of experience? Or do you think finding a big and another big enterprise client who's maybe doing a lot of Salesforce development? Yeah, and the good thing about working for a partner is you do get just lots of different opportunities. Yeah. Um, you can kind of get in a rut in some of these enterprise companies. It just depends. Um, some of these some companies are big enough that they've got like dedicated Salesforce teams and they're just they got a lot of projects and always moving from one project to the next. And um, mm-hmm. so I think the right company, yeah, it would be good. But I've just I've seen so many people that go to work at even at even actually at some partners, bigger partners that can afford just tons of bench time for some reason. But they'll um, they go to work there, and you know, they're, either their project kind of gets put on hold, or it's just kind of a dead end project. But they they're you know they're they're a they're a committed resource uh, is what is what people call them, you know, to some project, and so they just they're stuck on it. And they can't really, they're, but they're not they're not building anything interesting, and they're not they're not increasing their skills, they're not in, they're not enhancing their resume. They're just kind of just stuck. And and their employer's more than happy to pay them to do it because for whatever reason like they're they've already been allocated, it's a sunk cost or it's being billed in the client anyway, so who cares? We're making money off of you. As long as we're making money off of you, no one cares, you know. It's got to be a rare scenario though, right? I mean, I I, I you would think so, but I mean I I not later I will name you names of and you probably <laughs> I mean cuz you know those people, you we've seen this happen to people. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I mean, I guess there's risks on either side. I, I do feel that that finding a kind of larger partner where you can get a lot of different experience and they're more likely to hire someone who's maybe not so experienced but has development experience and kind of build them up in the Salesforce world. Um, it seems like enterprise as well, but it has to be one of the big guys who's really dedicated to building a lot of custom stuff on Salesforce. It doesn't seem like there's an in-between. It's either one or the other. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, it's usually just like a, a quick short-term implementation project where they need something now, but there's not a lot of ongoing stuff. So there's not a lot to really kind of sink your teeth into. So anyway, yeah, I, my, I guess my point was uh, you, you, you're going to, you might have to, you know, don't take an employment change off the table. You may have to, if, if you're just, if your current employer doesn't have the right opportunities for you, or if they're not willing to give you those opportunities, then, you know, you got to be willing to to do that. Yeah. All right. And thanks, live chat. You're sorry. You're echoing exactly what we were just saying. So appreciate it. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Any other advice? Um, no, I mean, not for me. That was mine. Yeah, I think so. I think, think you laid it out pretty well. I have nothing too much to add, but thank you for that. Um, if you want to also send us a topic or you have a question for us, uh, feel free to send it to us. You can do that at gooddaystarepodcast.com for it's. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Nope. Send us an email. I was on the wrong, I was on the wrong spiel. You were. Uh, Info at gooddaystarpodcast.com. Just email us and let us know if it's okay to use your name or not. All right, let's get into topics. What do I want to start with since these are not in order? I I was interested in that facial recognition one. I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay, let's do that one. So this is, um, this is interesting. This is, I feel like this is, again, this like regulatory capture type of thing or, or Baptist and bootleggers. It's kind of funny that that's why I felt when I first started uh, reading into this, but the mm-hmm. more, the more I got through it, the more I kind of was coming around to their position, but especially so Microsoft is saying it's, you know, it's time to start. It's time to get some regulation around facial recognition. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff, you know, the beginning they're talking about here. So let me just read a couple things. So they, you know, we believe it's important for governments. It's always governments. That, that's the part that, you know, you know, me, I'm like, really? We got to have the, we got to go run to the government for everything, for every, you know, please make rules for us. And, you know, it's like, okay. 
But that's not what they were saying, right? Well, we believe it's important okay. for governments in 2019 to start adopting laws to regulate this technology. The facial recognition genie, so to speak, is just emerging from the bottle. Unless we act, we risk waking up five years from now to find that the facial recognition services have spread in ways that exacerbate societal issues. So again, it's like, you know, every, really, do we, do we really, I mean, we've, we've heard these people and what we have in Washington, D.C., uh, and how adept at technology they are. You know, I invented the internet. It's a series of tubes. Um, who, they, they were just grilling the, the, the Google CEO was at yesterday, Sundar Pichai, and one of them was complaining to him about the, how the iPhone uh, tracks too much stuff or whatever, and the guy's like, uh, excuse me, Senator, I, I don't have anything to do with the iPhone. I work for Google. And they just, <laughs> they're just, you know, these are, you want these people regulate, you know, creating tech regulations. But again, we see these, we see these tech leaders running to the government to, to ask for regulation. Not only do they ask for regulation, they say, oh, and this is how we want you to regulate it. Facebook is, Facebook is doing just that right now. I mean, they're, they're the, you think Mark Benioff's making calls for Facebook to be regulated. Facebook is making bigger calls for them to be regulated and they're going to set the rules for the regulation. Yeah. It's just the way it works. But I, I, I did recall in that article somewhere that they did, they did say that they didn't have to wait for government, that they think the industry should start self-regulating as well. Yeah, they, they, they gave, you know, a nod to markets work, you know, handling these things. Um, and again, I, I don't completely disagree with them, but uh, it just, some, some of it a little bit rubs me the wrong way. Um, Okay, we've summarized our ideas below, and we will pri prioritize this topic in our public policy discussions in selected states and countries. So let me scroll down to, let's see. Research has, okay, here we go. So, you know, one of the things they're talking about, and I, I'm trying to figure out, so, that, so they're saying that here's the, pro the problems that need to be addressed. Um, uses of facial recognition technology uh, increase the risk of decisions and more generally outcomes that are biased, and in some cases in violation of laws prohibiting discrimination. So they're worried about, uh, facial recognition technology being discriminatory. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I guess we can stop on that one because I'm trying to figure out how, how are companies going to be deploying facial recognition technology in a way that's discriminatory? Now, let, let's stop for one second and say, I'm fully aware that light doesn't reflect near as much off of dark skin or dark colors in general than it does off of light skin. So in low light areas, facial recognition technology is never going to be, rec be able to recognize dark skinned people as well as light skinned people. This is physics. I think that depends <laughs> on what technology they're using for facial recognition. If it's just off a of video image that it's having to derive that, but if it's like the iPhone, which uses infrared and that's, beams of that's dots. That's not what they're then, talking about. If, if that were ever to be, to be deployed in a way that like from, f from afar, you know, these things could be beaming, which is kind of scary, mm -hmm. things off you to, to actually get face shape. And I mean, that would probably help. Mm -hmm. Or if it was like infrared, maybe, um, which is, I, you know, I don't know if, that, if that's even possible. I mean, that, that's one of, the, one of the possible errors. I think that article also mentioned the error rate of gender identification. And so... It, it, it's not, it's not, I mean, it, it might be good at recognizing a face, but it can't, it's not really good at deriving maybe race or sex or age or well, whatever. Yeah, and the gender thing was interesting. They were complaining about, you know, it's, I guess it's not consistent really recognizing what, uh, the, the, the female gender. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute. I have the time nowadays. I mean, you can't, you can't tell what some of these people's gender are. I mean, on, on purpose, 
um, or or they've changed the way they look to to change their gender. So, so to, to the point that they, you have to put name tags on nowadays to tell people what your gender is, and when you're at a conference. So how would I how would you expect facial recognition te- technology to be to be good at that? But I, I think that's just and, and also that's, like, just, that's just one of the error points of it. It's it, it's just a factor in how because it can't properly identify this with a low error rate, it, it can lead, and especially if you have decision points based on that, maybe you have a decision point based on gender identification. Right, so, you have some, so some here's, error. And, and so that, that leads to it kind of somewhat being or growing to be discriminatory. Here's what I need to help with. Okay, so this, this facial recognition technology, it's, it's not great identifying, it has, it's more challenged with certain skin tones, it's not great at identifying gender in certain cases. How are companies going to be deploying facial recognition technology in a way that that is going to disadvantage someone or, or cause harm to someone? That's what I'm like, I, because like, it's not like you go and apply for a mortgage loan and the camera just like looks at you, identifies you and says, oh, nope, that, that's not the way any of this stuff works. So how, how, give me the practical example of, of how this works. Yeah, I'm not sure I have a good practical example. I mean, I could try to straw man one up, but I don't think I have a good practical. I think, I think the idea is that as this technology grows and as, as you remove people from the decision-making process and you allow the AI to try to build its own kind of decision-making processes, that it could start to develop some kind of discrimination or it could be fed bad data um, in a way that it becomes discriminatory. And so I think the idea of the regulation is to put the safeguards in that try to at least audit or or restrict some of the types of usages so that it, it can't be in a place where it can discriminate. And that's what I need to understand, like what an example of that usage. Because the only thing I can think of is like, it's just super sci-fi stuff. Like, let's say that in the future, you know, you, let's say you steal a car and you're driving this car around that's stolen and, the, you know, the government cameras recognize your face, who you are through the windshield and they just disable the car. Mm-hmm. Well, that would suck if it misidentified you as someone else Right. And like disabled your car or something. So that would be, that would be bad. But that, that's the only thing I can think of is like ridiculous sci-fi stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> well, futuristic maybe, stuff. Well, so, so today we have all these cards that we, these little cards that we stick on a panel and that lets us into our, our office doors. Well, maybe, maybe it's all moved to facial recognition. Okay. And maybe, like you said, there's an error, there's a high error rate on skin tone. And maybe a certain I mean, does group it, of people with a darker skin does it, are, does are it, never able to get in. Does it like strike enough. you down with lasers, you know, never no, ending story saying. style so that, you know, or, or does it just not let you in? I mean. I'm just saying, hey, I mean, if I came to work and it didn't recognize me and I had to just leave and go home for the day, I think that I'd probably <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways that people could try to use this and people are really creative. And I think the idea is that anything can and will be abused. And if we don't try to at least put a framework around what to do when we do find that it's discriminatory yeah. or that it's invading someone's privacy, that we should at least have a plan of action for I that. Mean, and that's, it may not be... A law that says don't do this because it does this. It might be more so when you see this, you have to respond to this and and do something about it. The first part of that sounded pretty smart. Then you got too generic on me, and I, I was trying to didn't understand what you're talking about at all. Um, I, well, what I'm saying is that the the framework of the law or the regulation that they're likely looking at proposing at this point in time is what to do when the system, or at least to either audit and look for discrimination. So we'll, we'll get and, to that. And the plan yeah. of action of what to do when you do find that and ensure that that's being followed, yeah. not that it's being ignored or, or anything like that. And I, I wish they would have given some, some good, better examples. I'm sure I'm just feeling to imagine right now, but anyway, I'm totally willing to admit that. Uh, okay, second, the widespread use of this technology can lead to intrusions into people's privacy. Now this, I understand more. 
um, you know, if there are, if it's gets commercially viable for every restaurant, bar, and grocery store, and every place to have, you know, these cameras that, that are recognizing you everywhere, then, you know, that, that can that can lead to a significant just intrusion of privacy. And what does that do to the kind of the consent of data collection? Because already all these web companies, including Salesforce, are are, are doing this with basically, but uh, with your web traffic. So you imagine like every website you visit, these things know who you are. Even if you've got cookies turned off and whatever else, they still, they're able to identify you. They know who you are. They know that you're the same person who just went to another site right before and another site right before that. And you just bought this thing. They know all that stuff. Salesforce is behind a lot of this technology. They enable it and they sell it to their customers. Um, th- what we're talking about here with facial recognition is kind of just in, in, in real life version of that. Even though you're not wearing some label that has your name, they're able to recognize you. Well, it's another data point. Because and of, when it, because when of your facial signature. Yeah. And, and they know everywhere you've gone. And best case scenario, they're just selling that data to these marketers. Worst case scenario is, I mean, people can people could do nasty things to you with that information. Well, from a, from a purely innocent view of that world, it would be... I went to a website and looked at some TVs and I went to a Best Buy and, and looked at some TVs and, you know, because they're tracking my face, they can see, they can correlate those two pieces of data and see that I'm really serious about buying a TV. I'm actively looking right. and they could market to you that way. Yeah, what if, but what if you were searching for like a erectile dysfunction medicine or something? Do you want those ads popping up all over your place? And you want, you know, and, uh, but this is, or, or, or just things that you wouldn't want to be that? Why do you got to be that? Why do you got to be Why does it got to be ED? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm just saying, it's like, you know, it, it can be used in ways that you don't want. I mean, just because sometimes it, you don't care. Oh, yeah, I was buying a TV anyway. Thanks for showing me an ad, you know. But and, and I, think, I think most companies I mean, like, would, be, would be somewhat um, responsible. I, I, I would like, I'd like to err on the side of that the companies would so be responsible. So why are you taking the exact opposite uh, position on this, on number two, than you were on number one? I'm not. What I'm okay. saying is, is the I think companies because they're an entity and they can be sued, and that data is there, and there's whistle. There's the concept of a whistleblower. I think what's more dangerous in, in terms of invasion of privacy is that someone could set up a camera somewhere in the parking lot and start, you know, grabbing your face as you walk in a parking lot somewhere, mm-hmm. um, and they could they could get your information that way, or they could you know somehow correlate you with something that way. Well, yeah, but and the thing is, they're identifying it's automatically. Right? It's not some. It's not like some person has to. To look at it and figure out, oh, we've seen that. No, it's 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 the computers are automatically recognizing you for who you are, and the, and again, this could be correlated and shared. And again, people could do nasty things with it. Okay, let's move to the third one: the use of facial recognition technology by a government for mass surveillance can encroach on democratic freedoms. So I think that one's pretty straightforward. I mean, um, yeah, I mean a a a government, a tyrannical government, so to speak, could. Could be monitoring. I mean, they, they do do this anyways. They have well, soldiers and people watching voting booths and all those kind of things. And But uh, yeah, to have a kind of hidden technology aspect to that gets umps the ante that much more. Yeah. And what was the what was the name of that program that we that I think Ed, it was part of the Edward Snowden or WikiLeaks thing that became public that, ma- that the mass surveillance by telecom the government was doing. They're basically in every phone company mm. and getting, you know, they called who you call and how long you talked about all that stuff. They just called that metadata. And I remember that was like setting, that was triggering me because I'm like, that's not metadata. That's freaking data. That's data. <laughs> that's not metadata. Basically, every, you know, every call of this place, they were basically getting all of that. 
and they were using it to track individuals. They weren't using it just for like broad purposes. So that's that's what this was talking about. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. So they say, we believe that new laws can address this and we need a two-pronged approach. One, requiring transparency. So legislation should require tech companies that offer facial recognition services to provide documentation that explains the capabilities and limitations of the technology in terms that customers and consumers can understand. So that's almost like reminds me of on the, like all this mortgage, like disclosure stuff. And they've got to make you sign 800 documents that you're signing that you understand this and you understand that and you understand which mm-hmm. you, you don't understand any of it. Yeah. Um, okay, next one is enabling third-party testing and comparisons. New law should also require that providers of fa- uh, commercial facial recognition services enable third parties engage in independent testing to conduct and publish reasonable tests of their facial recognition services for accuracy and unfair bias. Um, which would be an, an audit. And they're also saying that they should that the results of those tests should be made accessible using the internet and make available an API or other technical capabilities suitable for this purpose. So, like, I guess the data would be available via API or something. Which okay. I, I think that's a, that's a good point to make. I mean, not only to have third parties audit it, but also make that raw data available so that, you know, someone who's really wanting to understand that data or do something with that data can. Yeah. This is, it's not hidden behind a handshake that says, you'll give us a good uh, report, right? Handshake, handshake. Yeah, and that's, that's tough with that. Too. I remember when they... Um, after 9-11, when they added all these naked body scanners to the airports, they they got them evaluated or tested, right, by to make sure they were safe. But it turns out, like the companies that did the te- the company that did the testing was just they just like rammed everything through, and they were tested very poorly. And and well, when they're that, still around, and I use them, the, you know, the, the funny thing is, is I think I've of all of the flying I've done, I've had to go through maybe two of those. And I well, because you've got you're in that program. I need to get in that program, by the way. Oh, frequent traveler, yeah. Or, yeah, known traveler. Yeah, you do need to get in that. Yeah, yeah. If you fly more than like once a year, you should, you should definitely get in there. I mean, it's just it's another tax. You know, you got to pay a couple hundred bucks to the government or whatever it costs, but yeah. it's it's worth it. All right, uh, head and cough. This is what situation. we're talking about a minute ago. So while while we're hopeful that market forces market forces may eventually solve issues regarding bias and discrimination, we've witnessed an increasing risk of facial recognition services being used in ways that may adversely affect consumers and citizens today. And I, you know, I kind of agree with that. And I also don't think this is something where market forces could do an effective job of that. You know, market forces are really good at like balancing supply and demand, setting prices, stuff like that. Um, this kind of stuff that's like super technical that consumers, the problem is like consumers understand Hey, the rent on this apartment's fifteen hundred dollars a month. Like we understand what that means very much. Consumers don't understand, or I say, you know, just consumers, average citizens, they don't understand the capabilities of some super technologically advanced facial recognition system and whether it's fair or not or any of that kind of like we we can't make the market can't fix that because the main players in the marketplace are are not informed correctly. And they can't be informed correctly because it's just not in their skill set. Um and 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 the yeah, I mean, just it's it's such a it's such an esoteric thing. I, I just don't think that could I don't think that could work. And you know me, I'm a ready ready to drink, guys. I'm a free market loving libertarian. <laughs> I, th- I think it can work to a certain extent, but I, I do think that it's it's one of those one of those realms that we probably do need a fair amount of regulation, governmental regulation, to at least set the set the bar. I'm not a fan of over regul. I'm 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 on the fence. I don't mind regulations. Um, I hate when it's just overly regulated and I'm not sure how to balance that out or how to make that make sense. But um, I, I do feel we do need certain regulations on, on very many things. 
And Jeremy's distracting me because he's going for you got more beer. Yeah, I I thought we just had this one. I've been No. I told you I had some commercial beers too. No. Nice. So you need to kick it in high gear. How are you gonna get a buzz if you're just nursing a four percent beer? I'm trying to be a responsible podcaster here. <laughs> that sounds like a non goal to me. I felt like my last my last point was kind of vamping a bit because no, you'd gotten well, up and no. moved away. But the, the the only point I'm trying to make is I do see the value in regulation, and in this particularly, I, I think there's there's value in regulation. So they so they, they they were talking about um, having a meaningful human review of things as a part of the process, I guess, mm-hmm. like some manual review, I guess. And that's it's a, this includes where decisions may create a risk of bodily or emotional harm. <laughs> bodily or how, how does um, I don't understand that one. I don't understand the emotional harm. It just sounds, it makes me laugh, makes me chuckle, but. Well, if they capture your face, walk it into, I don't know, some, ad, some adult yeah. location See, and it I, causes see, impact you're right. to your. No, you're right. That, that's why I need examples <laughs> I can relate to, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Someone starts publishing. People, okay, here's, here's, a, here's an assertion that I want you to say true or false to. People deserve to know when this type of technology is being used. Oh, that's a hard one. That is tough, isn't it? That's a hard one because you're technically in public. Right. That's what, and it, it's the stuff when you're out in public that, um, that I'm just like, well, I mean, people are, allowed, like, people are allowed to take your photo if you're out in public. Yeah. Now, they're not, there's, you know, obviously specific like stalking rules and things like that. Right. But, um, that's a tough one because it's not like this technology is invaluable. It's not like I mean, it, it's not like this technology is all bad in 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 terms of privacy and things like that. I mean, there are a lot of good uses for the technology, uh, especially when it comes to security and keeping people safe and all those kind of things. But again, yeah, you're in public. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, what do you do? Post a sign and says this area is mo-, just kind of like the 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 uh, the stoplight cameras where there's a sign that says says this. There's a stoplight camera here. Be oh, aware. Oh, maybe that's just to actually reduce um, the case of people violating the law. But the, I don't, and I think in most jurisdictions, that's not a requirement. They don't have to have a sign that says, by the way, you're now there are some cases, I think, where if you're under video surveillance, they, there are um, certain types of establishments. I don't know if it's like banks or whatever that mm-hmm. there have to be signs to indicate indicate that. And I think that's what they're talking about. here. So OK, so ensuring notice the law should require that entities use that use facial technology to identify consumers place conspicuous notice that clearly conveys that these services are being used. And then clarifying consent. The law should specify that consumers consent to the use of facial recognition services when they enter premises, when they enter premises or proceed to use online services that have this type of clear notice. So you should have to consent. But they say when you enter a premises. So I guess that... I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's no different than entering a website. What about walking along a premise? That's and I, I think that's I think that's key. I think I think it gives the law something to grab onto. It it says you did not post a notice to say you could take this person's image in public and and put it into your AI data set. So therefore, you're in violation of the law. So here's the here's the the 1984 part of this. Uh, there's one potential use for facial recognition technology that could put your fundamental freedoms at risk. When combined with ubiquitous cameras and massive computing power and storage in the cloud. A government could use facial recognition technology to enable to enable continuous surveillance of specific individuals. It could follow anyone, anywhere, or for that matter, everyone, everywhere, like they were doing with that phone program. 
It could do this at any time or even all the time. This use of facial recognition technology could unleash mass surveillance on an unprecedented scale. That resonates with me, actually. I think I read, read too much uh, Ayn Rand or something, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what makes that, that, uh, that one question you asked me on really hard this. to answer. That's pretty good. I can't. I still got... I don't know. Well, hurry, hurry up. You're going you're gonna to get, get dehydrated here. Um, okay, so limiting... They want to limit ongoing surveillance of spe uh, specified individuals. So prote to protect against the use of facial recognition to encroach on democratic freedoms, legislation should permit law enforcement agencies to use facial recognition to engage in ongoing surveillance of specific individuals in public spaces. Public spaces. Earlier, they're talking about inside premises. Now it's only public spaces. When a court order has been attained to permit the use right, of that, or where there's an emergency involving imminent danger. Uh, anyway, they're going to start publishing. They're going to say they're going to put together a big document. Yeah. But they're big. They identified six areas. Fairness, transparency, accountability, non-discrimination, notice and consent, and lawful surveillance. Yeah, I don't I think, know, maybe, I think maybe, this is, maybe I'm not giving Microsoft enough credit. Maybe this is the, maybe the, because, again, you know, at first, I didn't like the first part of it, but the more I read, the more it's like, actually, I think they're taking like, this is, this is substantial. I mean, this is a long thing. And they're even, they even wrote up like this huge document that really gets into details, which is, you know, Salesforce talks a lot about um, their, um, right? They just hired, in fact, I mean, wasn't, isn't that news? They just hired this F, uh, what was it? Um, Chief ethical and humane use. Yeah, I figured this would be a good right? segue into so that. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it's the same, similar, similar uh, theme here. But I mean, Microsoft's actually producing substantial. They're doing you know real research, and unfortunately, because this is part of what the, some of this process I don't like when these powerful companies get to write laws. That's what's going to happen. Microsoft's going basically going to get to write the law on this. Yeah. And they'll get it written the way they want. Now, is that all bad? Probably not. I mean, there's probably going to be some good things in there, but they're also going to get it the way they want. And, and they're, going to, they're also going to write it in a way that... Um, um, what was I going to say? I totally lost my train of thought because someone texted me. Um, not that it would oh, be anti create, that creates the Not anti-competitive, but the kind of playing field that they know they can kick ass at. Well, sure. That's the goal for, for everyone. Exactly. I mean, I got to imagine that Microsoft... It, and Oracle and Google and Amazon and and possibly even Salesforce would have a seat at this um, this future imaginary in my head committee to define this law would sit on. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I feel like I should apologize after spending so much time on such a wonky topic, but I mean, it's 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 in our wheelhouse. It's in tech. It it's, kind it's, of is, I guess. Yeah. You know, as Benioff said, we're all headed to creepy, and well, this is this is getting really creepy and. I, I don't think this technology is anywhere near to the level where we need to worry about it, but it is technology that is being developed. It is being advanced and it can do quite a bit today. Uh, give, given a large area for errors. Um, so it is something to think about and something to consider and something for our children to be worried about. Super creepy. <laughs> I like that one. Too. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, uh, chat, chat reminded I was thinking when you were talking that it was, this was along the lines of a TV show. I never watched it, but it, um, chat said it was a TV show called Person of Interest. I think it was canceled after like the first season or something. Um, but I, I think it was like a secret government agency or maybe like an independent um, uh, 
vigilante private investigating firm that would like basically use f- facial recognition to kind of try to find people and solve crimes and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I never watched it, but I think that's what I gathered from the previews of it. So it had five seasons. Oh, did it? It was CBS. Wow. <laughs> I thought it lasted one season. You're, yeah, you're really cutting it short there, John. I did. So it was more popular than I thought. All right. Well, let's, um, do we want to talk about, so, you know, I just mentioned this, but Salesforce hired this chief ethics officer, I guess. Yeah. It's funny. I wasn't, I wasn't as bothered by this announcement that I, than I was when, when, um, well, why, why would you be bothered by this? What's wrong with that? I think, unless you think it's just, you know, basically virtue signaling. I don't think this is virtue signaling. I think there's, there's, there's a lot of merit to this type of role of, of understanding how your technology is going to be used and, and, and even in the development of your technology, say the, the AI tools and, and the vision recognition to having a clear plan on, on what you consider ethical. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, Benny has been talking about that and, and, you know, Salesforce, I guess, thinks it's such a, a fourth industrial revolution leader that it's got. I haven't it. heard that term in a long time. Stop saying it. I think it didn't. Let I, it I, die. No, I think it, Jeremy, I, I let think it, it die. Did, I think it didn't work for them. And it, let it die. So they, they had to let it go. And they tried it. <laughs> didn't work. But, and yeah, so they, they again, as with when Salesforce tried to get LinkedIn regulated, they've tried to get Microsoft regulated, they've tried to get Facebook regulated. It's, it's to their benefit. You know, and if you look at, so Facebook's been in the news because they, um, what was, what was it? Is it in the UK? I think that um, a lot of these private communication of these Google executives, no, I'm sorry, it's Facebook executives, was uh, disclosed. And it's just it's so damning. I mean, it just, it, it just shows how they're, um, how they're uh, sharing data with lots of these big advertisers that mm-hmm. they're not supposed to share, and just the just total contempt they have for people's privacy and everything. It's it's really it was, it's really horrible. I mean, Facebook really should be ashamed of itself. But I I realize now, or I think I do. Why why Benioff, who's so, you know Salesforce is a is a big Facebook partner, and Facebook is important to Salesforce's business. So it's like why would hmm. You got to think of incentives here. Why would Salesforce want Facebook to re- be regulated? And the thing is, is Salesforce was, out, was not on the list of companies that Facebook was doing all this data sharing with. They got, they got squeezed out. So Benioff's pissed. <laughs> you, you know, because his talk about Facebook being regulated came out of nowhere, and it came on strong, fast. I don't know. I, and now we know that they got squeezed out of it. They weren't involved in this, in this inner circle of all this data sharing. I I I I, 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 mean, I would say there's there's maybe some small gem of truth yeah, in that, yeah. but I think overall, I think just Benioff, this is the stuff he believes in. This is this is his. Thing. I think so. Yeah, and I'm being. I and, think he's being genuine about it. He's not being. I need this because my company needs this. I think he's just. This is the. Yeah. This is what gets him. Uh, yeah, I I think it might be some. And I and I'm being somewhat facetious. I like to be a little bit like I like to play the role of the conspiracy theory, you know, nut. <laughs> But you can take that tinfoil hat off now. Yeah, no, I'm afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think there is there is some of that. I mean, obviously, wanting to have a seat at the table and be able to write the regulation and to make sure that that it's written in a way that you can still do business is being a good CEO. And I think on the other side of it, Benioff has very strong convictions as well that he likes to to make sure. Um, since he's got the power to do so, he likes to make sure he has influence on that. One, one of these quotes from Benioff said that he, quote, had determined, or Salesforce had determined, it was a quote, that the entire industry needs, needs to address ethical and humane use of tech. 
I like that. Well, he's really good at getting it, getting it, getting ahead of things. You know, that, that, that reminds me of helps him do this. Salesforce determining this for for all of you know humanity. I think it's it reminds me of this came up uh, maybe when they were trying to pass the big uh, American health or the whatever, whatever Obamacare is called American uh, affordable, oh, affordable care. care. Oh, right. I always forget that yeah. stands for affordable because. It's not affordable. It's so not affordable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my brain refuses to remember that it's called the Affordable Care Act. But they, and I think it was it was around that time. I'm not sure if it was that particular law or not. But they, that I guess it was the Senate because Senate has such weird rules. They're so arcane. But they they can instead of doing an actual vote count, the like the leader of the Senate. I don't. I'm not sure if it's the um, uh, what do they call? What do they call? What's the I don't know. The Speaker anyway, of the House? Or? No, that's the I'm House. Sorry, the, so, um, so I guess it's a you know, majority, majority leader or majority whoever, leader, yeah. whoever's running it. Um, they can deem a bill passed instead of taking a vote. They can, li- I mean, that's the term. They can deem it to be passed. And I was like, wow, that's a thing in America? <laughs> I, I thought I understood that as more deem kind it, of yeah. like a representative vote. Like they could, they get everyone to now vote and they can. Now this is the thing. Even it's, people, are, people are commenting here on the, in, the, in, the, in the live chat. It's, uh, yeah, it was. You can deem it to be passed. Oh. Now, I guess if you if it's flagrant, I mean, I guess you'll have a, a insurrection on your hands in the floor of the mm-hmm. Senate. But I'm just like, yeah, I can't believe that's a thing. Maybe because they didn't want to take the time. You know, they they wanted to get to their cocktail party quickly, so they made the rule that you can just like not have to take the time to count. No, the votes. it's when they go on their breaks. Yeah, I guess where so. they're supposed to come back and and talk to us regular people and and make sure that they understand our concerns and wants and yeah. <laughs> Oh, let's see. And Salesforce said that this will merge law, policy, and ethics to develop and implement a strategic framework, like a tech company would say, for the ethical and humane use of technology across Salesforce. It's a big task. There's they a, need, lot of, a lot to, of products. They need there. to start with that marketing cloud. There's a lot of products with a lot of terms <laughs> of use, though. So, all you Salesforce <laughs> customers, be ready for your terms of use uh, section of your contract to get huge. Yeah. To get huge. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Uh, Their approach will have three insights. Engaging stakeholders, engaging experts, and generating insights. And the fourth one. And eating steaks. (laughs) Steak, yeah. (laughs) Stealing the steaks from the stakeholders and and eating them. (laughs) I want a steak. I'm hungry. Mm. Hey, I finished my beer. Uh, There was, oh, here we go. Oh, I gotta do this. You gotta do it. That one's, uh, that one's, this, this is one of these, you know, what is this, Treehouse? Julius. It's less than 30 days old. That's pretty good for Texas. Is this, is this considered a good beer in your book or a bad beer? This is, yeah, this is kind of the top of the, top of the ratings. Because I read Famous the, beer. I read the can and it, it says over and over to keep cold, which tells me that they don't have a lot of confidence in there. Let's flavor. see. Is that Julius? What is that? Can you read it? Just set it down. Here. Yeah, Julius. Yeah, and Beer Advocate gets a four point seven. It's probably now. It's guaranteed it's in the probably in the it, like the Beer Advocate. Beer Advocate does their top one hundred again. It's probably in the top twenty of that. I would imagine. I think one of their secrets is I think they use a little little. I think they use a, a yeast blend that includes the hefeweizen in yeast because it's got a little bit of that banana thing going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, I get that. No, it's good. It's very uh, orange juicy. It is. All right. Let's see. Why did I put this in here? Or did you put this? We'd like to remind you of some important changes coming to field history tracking. You put that as in As you are an admin of an org that uses this feature. Or perhaps 50 orgs, and we just emailed you 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
a community as communicated, Salesforce guarantees to retain your field history data for up to 18 months or 24 months via data loader. Starting with the spring 19 release, Salesforce will actually enforce this. I guess they weren't enforcing before. They, they there was a bug. Yeah, <laughs> they, I, I didn't know that. Well, I, I don't think there was any kind of settings to control or when it, there's no setting to control when it purges. So I think it just sat there. Hmm. Salesforce will enforce the 18-month retention policy and begin the process of removing field history data beyond 24 months. So I guess they just weren't enforcing it before. I don't know. But anyway, I just thought that, well, was, not, that was a... But none of us can control that. It's just data that's there. I think they just never, they never removed it. And I think now they're informing you that now they're going to actually start removing it. It could be. I don't know. I just thought people should know because they're going to start deleting it. Right? Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. They're going to move your cheese. my PSA for the day. All right. Um, so I've been doing, I did, I'm, you know, I told you last week I was, was helping a client that was trying to do some SSO stuff with uh, Azure. Azure Active Directory. Yep. It's easy. So, so, yeah. So. <laughs> well, the SSO uh, setup is easy. It's always, there's always a catch. There's, there's a catch. always a but. The, the, are you going to do the just-in-time provisioning? Yeah. So that's, that's the issue. Yeah. I can, well, I can it's part never. of it. So it's. Do you, it, I don't like just-in-time provisioning. Yeah, it, it, it does not work well with the model, that, security model that we have with Salesforce. Yes, it can do a profile for you, but profiles aren't the only way to control access. That we use a lot of combination of profiles and permission sets and all those kind of things, and the just-in-time provisioning doesn't really account for that. It, it, there's ways to do that, and I, I guess if you want, I, I, we might as well talk about it. A nerdy Salesforce thing, right? That's that's our shtick. Um, but no, so I had gotten a basic SSO up and working. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a couple of catches to this. One, they want to do just in time provisioning, and two, this is for a community. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> because you know a community user has to be backed by a contact, which it has to be associated to an account. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's there's some there's some trickiness there that has to happen. One one thing that's really weird is. You know, this is so. This is SAML, right? Active Directory and Salesforce both speak SAML pretty pretty well, and that's what Active Directory uses for this type of SSO stuff is, is SAML, which is really. You know, people try to use OAuth for authentication, but I really don't. It's really I don't, know, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> OAuth is like it's about resource authorization. It's not necessarily. It's really not authentication, although you, there are extensions. I mean, like I don't know the, the what's it the Open Connect or whatever, or I, I don't know. Right tool for the job. Right tool for the job, John. Um, so anyway, uh, so I got it working, a basic thing. But mm-hmm. then I this week I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, and they they they're still struggling with it. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get like, I'm gonna set up a develop and or I'm gonna get my, my developer or create a community, and I'm gonna like get it working exactly the way they need to, and I'm just gonna screenshot my Azure SSO settings and send it to them. Mm-hmm. Well, about twenty hours later, <laughs> it felt like twenty hours. <laughs> Um, I, I just hit so many weird things. So first of all, even though this is just all SAML stuff, like the, the ter- these different tech companies like to create, in a lot of cases, like almost like their own brand names for certain technology standards. Mm-hmm. So like in Azure, like the way that you create like an SSO to Salesforce is you have to, well, first of all, there's some, it, inter- it's an enterprise application right. that you create. And I'm like, I'm not creating an enterprise application. <laughs> 
I already have two. I've got Azure and I've got Salesforce. I mean, those are my enterprise applications. I'm not creating a new application, but no, that's what you want to create an SSO connection between them. That's that's an enterprise application. You're creating an app. You're creating a connection to app enterprise. Uh, that's not what they call it anyway. And no, they I also um, there's there's a lot of other areas where mm-hmm. they mask the actual name of the technology and put their own their own term on it, Mike. And and it, it's really confusing. And also, like S, uh, Azure has the support for their own just-in-time provisioning that involves if you use the if you use their Salesforce S, you know SSO enterprise mm-hmm. application, it it can do its own just-in-time provisioning, mm-hmm. which involves actual like SOAP API calls out to Salesforce. So it doesn't it actually doesn't use Salesforce's SAML support for just-in-time provisioning. It it Azure will actually make SOAP calls. To Salesforce to create users and stuff, and then it will it will do you know the whole SAML assertion and forward the for or SAML what's an authorization statement or whatever the thing's called authorization request and forward the user over into Salesforce because we didn't want to do that we just wanted to use Salesforce's built-in support for just-in-time provisioning but that's that's one of these confusing paths that this client went down is like oh they you know they're using the official Salesforce enterprise application in Azure and sure yeah check the box on we wanted to do provisioning well that's not the right thing that wasn't the right thing <laughs> yeah and there's just like so many things like that where you can just go off on all these rabbit holes that are not the right thing for you to be doing that's job and security and, for you first that's, and that's foremost for you. first and foremost is the official Azure Salesforce app enterprise application to do this. And the reason is because the, um, the, the, the Salesforce enterprise application that's in Azure um, is, comes with some stuff nicely pre-configured that you don't have to, so you don't have to like manually specify certain things, but it also locks everything else down. So you like want to, um, like, oh gosh. For the, it, for um, the provisioning? Not not necessarily provisioning, but but one. So there's um, like the uh, the entity ID, which is important because you have to change that if you're using a community. You got to change the. It's a different URL, and that's the mm. entity. And also the is it the reply URL or the return URL, and also the the assertions, the authorization assertions that you can include in the in the in the request is locked down to ones that Microsoft has pre-provided. And that's not near enough because for this just in time, you got to be you got to send like user dot yeah. profile ID, you got account dot name, account dot account number because you you got you have to create a you know um, what else a co- contact last name, contact email, contact. I mean all and also it, you can send actually arbitrary custom fields for a contact account and user that Salesforce will populate if you send them. And this Azure application is like doesn't let you do any of that stuff. It's like you pick from these fifteen things we've said that you can use. Which exists mainly for the for the SAML assertion. And so this client spent like all this time, and I, you know, this is, they they did not engage us to help them with this. So they, you know, they're going to do this on their own. That's why, you know, they've ended up spending so much time time on this. But that's that's one of the first things I discovered. It's like, well, this thing is not letting me do what I need to do. And so now what do I do? So right. I back. I kind of abandoned that, and I just created. Um, you can create a, I guess, from scratch. Then there's like two or three different types of Active Directory applications that you can create and i picked i don't even remember which what it, what it was called basically it's like a just kind of like a from scratch it's basically a from scratch saml mm-hmm. connection is what it is where you can pretty much i mean i was able to i was able to configure everything i needed to configure but i finally got it working but here's one thing that you know and i just it's one of, it's like there was just a comedy of, of errors i had so many problems <laughs> and one of them was so 
Yeah, there's actually two main. There's a there's kind of an official Salesforce and the Salesforce help on how to do just in time provisioning with communities. Mm-hmm. There's also a separate um, knowledge base article that is useful because it's very contradictory to the official help article. And I'm not even sure. Like one of them was right on some things, the other one was right on some other things. So you have to do a ton of experimenting, especially just like with the the different assertions you can send over and the what do they call the the the, the assert the the attributes. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, there's all these terminologies. Basically, the, the names of attributes you can send over. And, and you, I just had to do a ton of experimenting to figure out, like, what combination of attributes I need to send that allows for the user to be created, the contact to be created, and the account to be created. And then also, it works the first time. But then when they come after their account already exists, they can come back in a second time. And it's not like trying to recreate a new account or, you know, mm. recreate things. Or yeah. I was getting, um, I was originally actually passing account ID. And when on a brand new user, it would work. It would create the account, create the contact, create the user, link them, and then log them right in. As soon as you try to log in for the second time after you've already provisioned, it said you get an, a message, in, uh, invalid account. Hmm. I'm like, what do you mean invalid account? It's the same exact account ID. And what I had to do was change to using account name and a, an account number. And you had to provide both. You have to provide, it uses the account number to match on to find an existing account. But if it doesn't find it, you have to provide the account name, obviously, so it kind of create the account. Right. Um, and this is where some, the, on these types of things is where these two doc, different documents were really conflicting with each other. And you just have to, you just have to experiment trial and error. And for the longest time, either, that, here's the other thing. Like I couldn't, it's like, well, how are you, you going to get error messages from? Azure doesn't really log um, the result because it basically, like, for, you know, the way that SAML works, it just sends the, authorization request over with all these assertions in it. After that, it kind of, that party, that identifier, the ID, IDP or whatever, it's done. It's done. You should be able to get the last interaction in sales. So you can, you can, you can see, which is weird because you basically have to do something and then go in and see what the last interaction is. It's not like you get a log so you can say, Oh, let me see what happened at no, it's just the most recent one. You better hope you don't have a lot of, a lot of them flying in because you're never going to find the one you want. Right. Um, But yeah, no, you can, now you have to like, now these were, this is what I was having to do. I was having to like copy and paste, the authorizations uh, request that was sent over, and then I was having, then I had to uh, base sixty four decode it because it was, <laughs> and then I had to, and I would paste it in, and I would do, I would do this all in Sublime, base sixty four decode it, and then I would pretty, you know, pretty formatted it so that I could actually, mm-hmm. you know, read it. read it. How many times do you think I did those series of keystrokes in I'm this sure whole process? 100. I mean, my hand, my my hands are sore. I've had like a, I think I've developed like carpal tunnel in my thumb or something. Maybe that's from something else. I don't know. <laughs> um. But so in, in this whole testing process, like for the longest time, I wasn't getting, I couldn't, I couldn't get error messages. Now you can see the authorization statement via the method I just talked about. And if there's anything just like format rise wrong with the statement, or if it's unable to like, you know, validate the signature or something like Salesforce tells you, and like you get that thing, it's like, cause it does these uh-huh. certain checks. But once all those checks pass, if something happened, like um, you provided like an invalid profile ID to create this user with all that kind of stuff, that's, that stuff's not in that at all. It doesn't give you that any kind of any of that next level type stuff. So let's say uh, the assertion statement or the authorization statement's good. The request is good. It's all validated. All the authorizations passed. It's the nonce and the timing. It's all it's all good. Mm-hmm. Then it gets passed to the you know something that that creates that does all the creation. Right. If errors happen in that step, you don't you don't get them. Now once I got a certain and I discovered what happens is you can you can have a like a custom error page. And so I, I just had it, I just plugged in like, I think I plugged in google.com or something. But what was interesting, it was it would go to that, 
it would go to google.com when an error happened, but it would pass in parameters to it. And it would let you like error code eight, and then it would give a message. And so I started getting a message, but I wasn't, I didn't get those messages. You have to get, you have to get a certain amount of stuff right before you even start getting those messages. So yeah, I just, I'm just, I'm just hacking away. Of the, of yeah, the I'm just like hacking away blindly, just trying to get the right combination of, of attributes in here before I even start getting error messages. Because mm -hmm. for a long time I wasn't. And then I finally was getting error messages and that, that helped a ton. Then I could just, that's what really enabled me to start doing trial and error on all these different, is it user.lastname? Is it just last name? Is do I also have to pass in contact.lastname? I mean, just so many, I had to get, I had to test so many different combinations of things to get this working right. And then I, I was like, man, I've tried everything. It's still not working. I thought, okay. I, and I was just like, I was, it was late at night. I'm like, I'm just going to go. And, and I'm doing this in a dev org. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go in and um, I'm just going to manually create a, 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 a community user just for the hell of it. I tried to, I go, I tried to, you know, create an account, create a contact. Wasn't and then, the role, was I did, it? No, I did enable, no, the account owner has to have a role, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, no, role. it wasn't that. That'll kill you too. Um, I, I did enables a uh, community user, which uh, is in a weirdly different place in Lightning. Or it's actually an action that you have to like, you know, oh, I'm not going to start on Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I enabled, you know, this user and then it takes you to the, the new user page, which is in classic still. Mm -hmm. Love that. I love this bashing me no, back and forth. No, it's in classic, but it's embedded in Lightning. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's like lipstick on a pig, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or is it like a pig eating lipstick? Which is it? I guess it depends on whether you like Lightning or Classic better. <laughs> it's a window to Classic, yeah. so it's a window yeah. to the pig. I don't know. Uh, so, um, so it's it, so it, it pre-populates the user, and I just basically choose the right community t uh, user type and hit save, and it's like I get um, insufficient privileges. The good old, you know, the the white screen of death. If insufficient privileges, was it the account that you're using? Finally figured out what it was. So this took me a while too. I mean, lots of googling, whatever. If you've gone, this is a knowledge article I finally found. If you've gone through the instructions in the article above and still get the insufficient privileges error message when saving an external user contact record, even though you own the account and contact record, you'll need a new developer edition organization. This is because DE orgs created using a non-standard Salesforce template that doesn't include permissions to create external users. We recommend you contact the partner you sign up through and have them create you a new DE org or something. Actually, this is not the same message. The one I got, this is not the same um, link, actually. Um, the one, the thing that keyed me in, it was actually a similar article, but it said my dev org was too old. If your dev org was created before a certain time, then it, you'll just, you'll get this insufficient privileges. Here's my question. If they know this to, enough to create all these knowledge articles on it, why don't they fix the error message in Salesforce that tells you, oh, hey, yeah, you know, sorry, your dev org is too old. You need to create a new one because you can't create community users in this one. It doesn't tell you that. It just has insufficient privileges. And it, and now you're off, you know, scouring question sites, knowledge sites, Google, everything to yeah. try to find out what the hell is happening. So I created a new dev org. And then I got in this cycle, I, which I'd forgotten about, which is when you create, here's my process when I create a dev org. I go and fill out the lead form, which by the way, I get email. I'm still getting emails from Salesforce reps trying to sell me Salesforce because I created a dev org. <laughs> and it's funny, some of these, like, I think after I hit submit, like it literally forwards you to a page and the and it says question mark like result equals like lead created. I'm like, oh, I see that in the URL lead created. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna get emails now and phone calls. So I created I created DevOrg. Mm -hmm. I get the email. I click verify. I get in. I set my password. You go through that set password screen, and then I'm on Salesforce. Of course, the first thing I do 
uh, because I use one password to create my password. So I've got that password saved in one password. Right. But I immediately log out and then go through the official login screen with my username and my password. So one password will capture like the username and the password. Right. Right. Login doesn't work. And the password that I just created using one password and the one password stored will not log into this org. I forgot about this. So I ended up creating like three dev orgs before I remembered this. For some reason, when you first create a dev, dev org and create your password and log in, you, you can't log, if you log out immediately, you can't log in for like a, it's like, I don't know how long, it's like another 30 minutes, maybe an hour. You can't log in. Oh. It's like it hasn't been indexed yet. What is he, what are you storing my password in a search index or something? I, I don't understand this. <laughs> and I can, you can recreate it. So, you know, it happened. I, I bet if you went directly in to the instance name, if, if you didn't go to login.salesforce. Maybe so. I think if you, if you go directly yeah. to the instance name, it would have logged you yeah. in. So I'm just like, how am I, how am I hit? I feel like I've been doing Salesforce work for like 20 years and I feel like I just started yesterday. It's so, you know. <laughs> you noob. Oh my God. But it's just like, and it's amazing. Like, you know, Salesforce is like, they're so good at certain things. And they've got such smart people working there yet. Like you create a community user and it all can tell you insufficient privileges when your org doesn't work or like your dev org password doesn't work for 30 minutes and they just, they don't tell you. I mean, <laughs> uh, all you can do is drink and laugh. Yeah. yeah. It's enterprise software, right? Enterprise, well, ne- next time I have to do a community <laughs> I'm going to yeah, call you. Yeah. Well, John, how are we doing on time? We're, we're man, we're, um, I need to, I need to wrap up soon. I am so busy this week. I got yeah. all the stuff to get through. What do you got any? Oh, you know what? I do have one more thing I just wanted to mention, but do you, what's on your topic list? Nothing that that's important. God, you always do this. There's like nothing you want to talk about. I end up just dominating everything. It's no, all I mean, my there's, topics. There's, there's things we can talk about, but they're they're nothing really major. You, I, I, I told you it was it was a slow news week. I'm not. I don't have to I'm be not news. Passionate I don't about have to anything. be news. You could tell me your your boring experience, just like I told. I I did. It was super boring. Okay. Well, the, so the only thing I really want to mention is just that, and I I think I just I got this idea, and this is probably like super obvious to some people. It really wasn't to me, um, and it's that. So we all, we all probably have like little logging frameworks or classes or whatever that we've created to in Apex, right? To um, at least I do. I've got one that makes logging really simple. It, eh, it, I I I try to stick to the system. I mean, especially now that I have the, the problem is that this, the API sucks. A system dot debug and then error level dot blah blah. It's just like I'm God. All I want to I just want to type like logger dot warn. I don't have to type all that yeah. garbage. Well, I've gotten better about reading the logs as well. Um, whereas before I, I would I would do that standard noob trick of this is my error statement. Like I would system.debug. This is my error statement, you know, plus the, the actual error where mm-hmm. I was trying to put keywords in so I could find it in the log, but I've gotten better at reading the log and understanding where everything is in the sequence of things. And I think, I think my logging class, it'll also like, if you pass an exception in, it does a better job of like, um, let's say you're, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, you're, you're, let's say you're, you're in a situation where you're catching the exception, but you still want to log it. Okay. Um, I think I think the logger class. I could be wrong. I wrote this like five years ago. But it, it, if you pass an exception in along with your message, it will get the stack trace and it'll actually log the stack trace also to the log, mm-hmm. so you don't lose that. You get the full you know information about the exception. Yeah, for for debug logging, I, I usually stick to the debug. Where cases where I do want to actually log, I hated that I used to do actually right now. In cases where I want to log the error to the to the database, so that you know I have something I can troubleshoot. That's when I'll use a, an error handling class or a logger class. 
because yeah. then I'll have a flag that says log this to the database or you know those type of things. Right. And so one thing that one thing that you know a lot of these I'm sure of thousands of us that have implemented our own little logging things that we do is like maybe you have one implementation that will actually log your messages to like a custom object or something. Right. right? Yeah. And then you inevitably will run into the problem like why am I not getting my why are the logs not showing up? And it, the problem is is like if if uncaught exceptions happen, which sometimes you want them to be uncaught, mm-hmm. um, you know, you may log to your record your custom object, but that whole transaction is getting rolled back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of a fundamental problem here with the persistence of your log. I did not think <laughs> yeah, about exactly. that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. But what were we just talking about the other day that it, which is a major negative sometimes, but doesn't get rolled back. And it's a new, relatively new Salesforce feature, fundamental, like, you know, kind of messaging feature that it, that it has, that when you, if you roll back a transaction, this is outside of that. It doesn't get rolled back. It still goes through. I'm talking about platform events. Platform events are not subject to the, to the, to the bounds of a transaction. So if you fire up a platform event and then your transaction gets rolled back, the platform events still happen. It still got published. Which well, is great you, if you're trying. Which is great if you're trying to log an, an error. Well, couldn't you do, do just you run your me? logger in the async? Problem? You are so unimpressed with my with my with my epiphany. <laughs> uh, oh no, I'm that'd, d- be, I'm it'd, just be, it'd be a great solution. So, so the, the answer to the sol- you throw a certain the, kind of platform exception, and then you just have a trigger. Or hey, we can be a trigger. I don't know, but you have a platform exception, right? Right, and you could have something that comes back and then turns those into writes them to a custom object or something. Because I think I think uh, events, um, oh tail yeah SFDX tail and T. I was going to ask you what is that I, tail? I, that, that's foreign well, to me. These are like Unix terms, but tail is like you can tail log like live. T- I'm assuming, I'm assuming you can live tail. I don't know. I'm still just like not on the SFDX bandwagon yet. Well, I'm a Unix. I'm, I'm a Unix novice. I, yeah, I know. So like, I know like a handful of commands. That's it. It's like tail just gives you like the last certain number of lines or bytes of a file. But if you do like you can do live tailing, so it's like tail dash f, oh, and okay. it gives you and it. Brings you up the like the last part of a log file. Usually, to use it with logs, telling log files, but it's live logging. It's used to stays connected, and then as that log file is getting written to, it just it's like live scrolling. You're seeing it happen. Crap, how have I never heard that? It's pretty awesome. So, and, and then that is useful if you're actually sitting there and you want to watch logs. I'm right. talking about situations where you you know you deploy software and you go home and you go to sleep, but you still want error logs to to get written to disk somewhere if stuff stuff happens. You know, and you want to be able to review those logs once a day or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I I need to like search through GitHub or perhaps the what's um what's our Salesforce open source project site called? Open forceorg Yeah. I need to search on there and see if someone's written like a little logging thing that will you know log to platform events and then somehow persist those to disk. And sure it is that that community's growing pretty big. There's a lot, of, a lot of nice tools on there. I, I think at some point we're going to have to start curating it because it's getting big. <laughs> yeah, maybe put a search engine on it. I think it has a search. How about, a, how about, a, search on how about it. an Einstein bot interface to it? That would know. be... Sure, it's it's going to sure get so big awesome. that we're going to have to... It's, they're going to have to put in a, like a, an app exchange interface on it so you can get searches and categories and... Categories? Just like the way I said that. <laughs> I love it. Why are you flipping me off? I don't know. Didn't think you noticed. All right. Well, John, I think that I'm, I think I'm done. I think you stick a fork in me. Yeah. So yeah. So our next episode, which we'll do next week, right, is 200, and John's going to try to do some kind of montage thing. So um, if you've got uh, 
John is asking for people if they've got a, a favorite part of an episode, if they've clipped something, like send him clips. Just send me the time codes of the episode if you can. Better, better yet, even clip. That just makes it easier for you, right? No, because I have to manage the audio quality. That's true. Well, I mean, they're just going to clip it right from our MP3 file. Audio quality is already managed. It is what it is. You Maybe. Know? Either way. <clears throat> anyway. Um, okay. Anything else from you, John? Nope. Nope. Sorry, I'm, so, I'm trying not to. Yeah. Trying to break. Okay. Um, all right. Well, if, you, uh, if you're not in our Slack, we have a, a fun and friendly and helpful Slack where we discuss uh, Salesforce problems and solutions and random funny stuff and whatever. Um, and that's you can join by going to gooddacerpodcast.com and clicking on community. And John will uh, take your email address and add you. I do do it manually, so be patient with me. You mentioned our, our email address, info at gooddacerpodcast.com. If yep. you want to send us questions or topics or whatever. If you want to send me your resume, because I'm still hiring. I'm always hiring. Have I mentioned that? Salesforce consultants, solution architects, technical architects, developers. Everyone but me. Everyone but John. As long as your name's not John Santiago, you can make it in my funnel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what else, John? Uh, Thank you for the read, by the way. Yeah. Uh, reviewer person. I forget the name now. That's, that's, that's nice. We're... we're of course, we're good for 2018. So, you know, by the end of 2019, someone has got to give us another review. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John. That's all I got. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>